opportunity for, for me to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for your prayers for Donna, for me, for our family this week. One of the things that Donna has shared is that uh, she just felt lifted up in prayer by God's people, from God's people all around. I know there were people here, believers of this church were praying. I know that there were family members uh, that we have on both of our sides that were praying. And uh, we know that uh, friends and associates all over were praying and we could feel God's prayer um, in delivering her. And just the good news today is uh, yesterday for the first time she was able to, to eat some regular food. And um, that is truly a blessing. She had gone eight days without eating any food. And then the doctors put her on a, on a liquid diet uh, and then gradually stepped that up till yesterday. She could have something a little more uh, substantive. And uh, we praise God that she is uh, dealing well with it and progressing. She's not uh, released yet, and we don't know when that will happen. We haven't got results back from the tests that's being done to determine whether or not what was found in her and that was removed was cancerous or not, but uh, we'll find that out early this week, and uh, we want you to just continue in prayer uh, for her. Uh, you know, to, to most of us, it just, it, it, you may be asking, how did this happen so all of a sudden? And uh, Donna and I are asking that same thing. There was no clue or hint that uh, she was having any trouble in this area at all. And so, um, um, you know, God sends trials in uh, your way. And I think one of the things that's come from the trial is the display of God's love through his people. And that has come through loud and clear. And I praise God uh, for your expressions of that in so many uh, different ways. I know many wanted to come and visit, and uh, there was a time when uh, she could not take visitors, and uh, it, she wouldn't have known that you were there, and uh, she was fighting for her life and for every bit of rest that she could get. And I praise God that that phase is, is over, and we're moving on to other phases of recovery and healing. So I just want to say thank to the Lord, and thanks to the Lord's people for uh, your consistent, uh, faithful prayers on our behalf, on her behalf. <clears throat> our scripture reading, let's look at that today, is 1 John uh, chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7 to the end of the chapter. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through the end of the chapter. Now, if you don't have a Bible of your own, um, ask the ushers, raise your hand, they'll bring one to you. We use the ESV, the English Standard Version here. I want you to have a copy of that so that you can follow along with us in the, uh, the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Let's all stand together in respect to the reading of God's Holy Word. First John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the spirit has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love 
And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's take a moment now to pause and to go to the Lord in prayer. We have much to, to pray for and much to be thankful for. Just come through a holiday of Thanksgiving and a season of Thanksgiving. And one thing I understand is, you know, spending the first Thanksgiving, I think in, since I've been married, 37 plus years of not having a meal with the family and a special sit-down thing that we call Thanksgiving. Spent Thanksgiving as I spent the remainder of the week, haven't been at home yet, haven't slept at home, but I slept in the hospital each night. And yet I count my blessings. I count myself grateful and blessed. The children sang the song, I'm blessed. <laughs> I count myself blessed to know that God has shown his favor on me. That God is my savior, my provider. He is our healer. I count myself blessed to, to be a child of God and to be able to rest in his love and in his comfort. And I count myself blessed as Don and I were talking this week to, to know we don't know what we have to look forward to. We didn't know this was coming up, but we do know that we are in God's hands. And I count myself blessed to be at this place in this moment, to, to, to be able to look at Donna and to see her and the recovery that God has brought her through. And um, that's, that's an extreme blessing uh, to me, and I'm so thankful for what God has done and what he is doing uh, in my life and is he's doing in her life in regards to her health and her strength. So we need to be thankful to God. Let's just pause and, and thank God. Thank you, Father, for through the events of this week, the, though as tough as they are, we feel your presence. And thinking back, it's not just this week, Lord. In this past several weeks, we've had the loss of our dear sister, Sister Beverly. We pray for encouragement. Continue for Charles and for Charmone and for Lawrence. We thank you for their faithfulness during this time. I think of Brother Charles as since the time of his wife's death, he has been a part of the rescue mission ministry to the men on Saturday. He was there for that. He's been part of our services. He's been part of our fall social that we had here at the church this past Saturday. And he's been one that's been faithful to call me and to encourage me when I thought I should be the one encouraging him. I thank you for that type of faithfulness and example and strength that just comes from you serving you and so Lord in this time of challenge when we have seen death and still sorrow from it we have many who are gravely sick and that we just come before your throne on their behalf it was an encouragement to see one of them sister Minnie as she wrote <laughs> an email that she'd be praying for Donna, even though she herself has a grave illness. She's an encouragement. 
It's encouragement to pray for Sister Brenda Adams and in her condition have many tests and don't know exactly what's wrong and still struggling to find out what's going on with her body. She knows she has pain and discomfort but doesn't know what the cause is. And yet she's reached out to pray for others, including Donna. We thank you for that. We think, thank you for Sister Lola Spears here today again and just to continue to be faithful was there at the funeral, Lord, and just to muster her strength and to show her love and her concern. I thank you for that. I pray for, for each one, Lord, that I've mentioned here that you would sustain and you would watch over and you would bless them. I thank you for and I pray for my dad, Lord, and his struggles with his health, that you would sustain him, that you would minister to him in, in, with your grace. You said your grace is sufficient, and yes, it is true. We just pray, Lord, that you would minister, administer that grace, pour out your grace on him during this time, on my mom as she cares for him. Watch over him. I think of my father-in-law, Mac, and dialysis three times a week. And yet he is just faithful here. He's here for service. He's here for ministry, for encouragement to others. And I just pray that you would watch over and bless him. Pour out your grace on him. Lord, I would pray that you would allow us to learn the example from the examples that are set before us. Ones of faithfulness, encouragement, a love for you and a zeal for you, that we will follow that example. And so I do pray for my wife, Donna. I do thank you for the healing and protection that you have given her. We prayed that you would step in and that no surgery will be required, and yet it was required. We're thankful that that surgery, even though that first procedure did not accomplish what we wanted it to, what the doctors hoped it would accomplish. They went on to the other surgical procedure, and that went well. She's recovering from that, Lord. It's by your grace that that happens. It's by your grace that you had us to come to the very hospital, the very floor, the very ward that Chantel works on. So Chantel could look on from time to time. The nurses there show that she's had a great testimony there as they care for us like we were their own parents. I thank you for that. I thank you for the many who have prayed, the many who have, have wanted to, to, to visit and who have called and expressed in so many ways their love and their concern. I thank you for each one, Lord. So I pray that you would bring Donna to healing Give me wisdom as a husband as how I can be a help, a servant, to love her where she is needed, to help where she is needed. I thank you that you have given me a heart and you have shown me I've never had that tested this way to be faithful in sickness and in health as we vowed over 37 years to do. And now I have that opportunity. So help me to be strong and to be there to help for her during this time. There are others who are struggling with their health right now. We know Dale is not here today. He had to go into emergency for care for himself and I just pray for him that you would watch over him bless him heal him I thank you for um, your faithful saints who are just gathered here today bless now the preaching of your word Lord we esteem your word highly it is what carries us through it is your communication to us the sharing of your plan and your purpose and your love to us comes to us clearly through your word. So we do not set it aside. We uphold it. I want to hear it preached. I want to preach it myself. I want to remind myself and others 
of what you have for us. I want to be comforted in it. I want to be cared for. I want to be reminded and pointed and directed to you through your word. We pray that you would do that. Use your word to minister to our hearts and to meet our needs today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> thought we would continue our series today in 1st John and then starting next week we look at a special series focused on Christmas the coming of Christ in the flesh to begin his work and to start his kingdom and so let's look at what we have before us our texts in 1st John that we've read 1st John chapter 4 verse 7 through the end of the chapter for our text for today. <clears throat> Entitled this section again, it's not anything new, but it's the test of love. Why the test? Why the test? Well, there's several tests that God would have us to go through in his word and in the, in the writing of this epistle, John expresses in three areas tests that help identify true believers. So it's tests that we can apply to ourselves, tests that he encourages others to apply to themselves so they can see whether or not they are truly in the faith. In the words of 1 John, to see that they have been born again. That they have been born from above. That's an important thing for us to do. In fact, there are several passages that challenge and encourage us to test ourselves. We don't always like when we're tested. I don't like being tested because it stresses you. I remember in college going through tests and uh, my first semester in college, as I was studying for engineering, uh, about two weeks into that semester, I had tests on a Friday, and it was like four tests, all separate classes, all lined up on the same day. And I asked myself, is this a joke? Why do we have all these tests on the same day? Well, I understood why. I later came to understand why they were doing it. Uh, to be frank with you, they were weeding people out. They were saying, if you can't cut it, then change your major. <laughs> Go to something else that's a little bit easier. And leave room and seats available in those other classes that are coming up for other people who can, can, can handle it. It was that kind of a test. In fact, I had a professor who once said, there are 200 of you at the start of this class, but in four weeks, I expect that to go down to about 50. And he was right. They were tests to prove who was genuine and who was not. I have tests in my life these past weeks, as I mentioned, have been a test. They're testing my faith to see whether or not you've preached it, you've taught, you've counseled, and now you yourself are going through. And it's not, you know, are you tough? It is, are you leaning on the Lord, and are you going to be exposed as one who's totally dependent on God, or are you resting on something else? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, the sound the song says, and it's based on that word of Jesus as our foundation. And so God wants others to see that even in the roughest and toughest moments in our life, we trust him, we love him, we serve him. And I definitely want to pass that test. So there's tests in 1 John for believers. I want to read a, a couple verses from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23. 
Then I ask the question, why are we tested? Why, why are there tests? You know, people say, you know, you, you shouldn't challenge or question anybody's salvation. That's not what the Bible says. We ought to question it continually and see that it is so, that it's solid and is built on Christ. So in Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus is speaking these words. This is what he said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, Jesus says a lot of people uh, think that they're going to enter to the kingdom because of what they say. And he says, no, I am going to judge you on what it is you do. Do you really pass the test? Notice what he explains in that verse. He says, many will say, well, he says, it's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice what he says they, they say to him, Lord, Lord. They speak spiritual talk. He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But then he gives a contrast, but the one who does the will of my Father. So, do you pass the test? Not do you think you're going to pass the test. Do you actually pass the test? Another verse in Scripture that is a reminder to me, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. It says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test? Wow. The writer of Scripture is saying there's a test that you ought to take and to see that you meet that test. Don't assume. And so we come to 1 John in our text today, and we see throughout 1 John, there are three tests that he uses that he wants us, each person, to examine themselves. There is the test of obedience, there's the test of love, and the third test is the test of faith. I want you to see, because when we come to this section that we're in now, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, um, he, uh, he applies those tests together. The test of obedience is given several times in 1 John. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says it this way. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So that's the test of obedience. Not just what we say, but how we walk or how we live, Right? Given again, it's stated this way in chapter 2, verse 3. Listen to this. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Very clear, isn't it? How do you know that you belong to God if you walk in obedience to him? The next verse. Whoever says, I know him, but does, but, excuse me, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So it applies that test, not to just what you say, but how you live. What do you do? It's a test of obedience. It's given again, chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It's actually the test of love and the test of obedience kind of combined together. Chapter 3, verse 6, all the way through 10, is a test of obedience. Chapter 3, verse 6 says this, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. 
makes it clear, right? It's not just what we say, it is how we actually live and what's the pattern of our life, right? Verse 24 of chapter 3. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Whoever keeps his commandments, that's the test again of obedience. In chapter 2 verse 9, we see the test of love given there. Chapter 2 verse 9, we read, um, but it says, Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes the test of love chapter 2 verse 15 do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him that's the test if you love the world then the love of the father is not in you that's the test that's how you can tell. Chapter 3, verse 14, again, the test of love says this. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. We can apply that test to ourselves. And then the third test is the test of faith. In chapter 2, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23, it says this. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. In other words, it's examining what we believe. Test of, of obedience is how we live, what we do. The test of love is who we love, who we hate, how we love. Then the test of faith is what it is that we believe. We can put that to the test according to 1 John. According to 1 John 3, verse 23, we see it applied this way. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So here we see the test of love and the test of obedience combined. Excuse me, the test of love and the test of faith combined. Chapter 3, 23. And then chapter 4, Verse 2 and 3, we see another test of faith, how you can examine your faith. Verse 2, it says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. What is it that we are to believe? If we are genuine, we believe that Jesus, as we spoke last time, is the Christ that has come from God. We believe Jesus in his humanity and Jesus in his de deity. Those are prerequisites. Those are mandatory. They're not optional for believers. All right, let's take a look then at our text here. The test of love in chapter 4, verse 7. First of all, he takes the time out to define love, and he defines it in a unique way. Two statements about love. And, well, two, they're very similar, and they help us understand love, and then we'll follow that with a positive statement and a negative statement. The first statement we'll look at is in verse 7. He says simply this, love is from God. Love is from God. The second statement that goes right along with that and helps us understand that first statement is in verse 8 and he says this simply God is love. God is love. He says if you want to understand love, love is synonymous with God. The way I write that in my notes, you know, being an engineer, I write everything kind of like a mathematical equation, right? Love equals God, and then God equals love. They're one and the same. They're indistinguishable. Love comes from God because God is the source of all love. No love exists apart from God. Love is 
from God. Love is God. God is love, one in the same. So from that truth, and, and we could stay there for a long time, but he simply states, that's what John does both in the gospel and in, in his epistle, is he takes simple terms and simple words, none longer than four letters, love is from God, God is love. I like simple words. But they are profound. In other words, you could search and dwell into the meaning and search it out and you will never get to the end of it. From that statement of truth, he gives us a positive perspective and a negative perspective. Let's read verse 7 and 8 and pull it out. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the first statement is a positive statement. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. What he's saying is what it means to know God. And we're not talking about an intellectual knowledge. When the Bible talks about know, it's, it's, it's more in the sense of experience. Those who, who have relationship with God. In the old uh, King James Version, we say, Adam knew his wife, and she begot a son. I was a young kid, I'm like, what does that mean, know and begot? Well, <laughs> what it means is he had a special relationship with his wife, and from that a child came. And we were little kids, we used to, we used to sing a song. Mary and John sitting in the tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First come love, then come marriage, then come the baby in the baby care. Right? Y'all remember those songs? We sing that. And so it, it, it's saying, look, to know God means a special relationship with him. Not just, I know, I read a book about God and I know about God. It means to have a special relationship. Those of us who teach children and have children ourselves, we need to understand that. We are trying to present God to our children. We're trying to get them to know God. Sometimes that means taking them out and correcting what might need to be corrected. I want you to know how God thinks, how God behaves, what is acceptable, and what is special about him. And it would take us to the end of our lives to just get a piece of that. It is done through relationship, not through head knowledge, through relationship, to, through experiencing God. So he says this, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who, who loves, in order to love, it has, you have to have a relationship with God. And those who have relationship with God experience and know and practice love. Now, I know you would, many would counter that and say, well, there's people in the world who love and don't know God. And I would say to you, no, they don't. They don't love and they don't know God. They, they experience some things in our human perspective that, that we would think of as love. But when God describes love, we understand it to be something that is unique to him and his character. You know, we have traits of it. We're concerned and we have, we have a, a concern for, for things and for others, but nothing to the degree that God has. God is love. To the degree that he says this, when you have those who, only those who have relationship with him can truly live this out and experience it. 
He goes later on to tell us what that looks like, but let's take a look before we get there to the negative statement that he uses to help us understand that. That's in verse 8, and he says it this way. Anyone who does not love does not know God. So the positive statement is this. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The negative statement is anyone who does not love does not know God. Another way of saying, it's impossible to know God and not to love. It's impossible to know God and not to love. Then he lays this out. He defines it as we just mentioned. And then he, in verses 9 and 10, is what I call love personified. What God does, you know, I'm... I'm a person, you can describe something to me, but sometimes I need to see a picture. I need to see it written down. When the doctors this week began to exp uh, um, explain to me my wife's condition and what it is they were trying to do, I searched and, and looked, and I wanted to see pictures. When I got that picture, it helped me understand. Even when they would talk with their hands and use words that gave in my mind a picture, it helped me see what was going on. They used some terms that I wasn't familiar with, and that didn't help my understanding any. They gave a, a picture, it greatly helped, or used words that I was used to using. It helped me understand. God does that in the, in the Bible. He not only defines love, he gives us a picture of that love. And we look at that in verse 9 and 10. He says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Manifest means revealed or made known. He says, I'm about to show you how God's love is shown to us, is revealed to us, is made clear to us. He says, I'm going to give you a picture of God's love. I'm not going to just talk about it. You know, if, 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 if a young man loves a woman and he wants to share and express his love, he's, he, he struggles to find words to do that. Now, he'll use words, but he'll also want to express that in other ways. And in fact, love has to be displayed in other ways besides words. Earlier in First John, he, he, he encourages us, let's not just love in word alone, but in action, in deed, in practice. So God gives us a picture of his love for us to see. And so he says, we, we know it's a picture because he says, in this, in other words, this is how the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how God showed us his love. How is it? What did he do? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So God shows his love. The picture of God's love is his sending of his son into the world. That's an, important, that's an important truth for us to gather. The greatest expression, the greatest picture of love ever pictured is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's God sending, Jesus is his son, God is sending his son. What does it say? What's the purpose of that? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent. Jesus didn't go out on his own. God is the initiator. God says, I got to do something. So he sends not just one son, his only son. Some, some, this, this son is treasured to him because it is the only one. There's a special relationship between the father, God the father and God the son. And God says, son, I want you, even though we have this union and this relationship, I want you to depart from me. I'm sending you into the world for a purpose. In other words, he's saying, son, I love you, and I never would want to be without you, but something important has to be done. 
God sends his only son where? Into the world. I always think that when a child is born, it is a cruel world that he's coming into. You know, in this week of physical trial, it just made me admire and be thankful for the verse in Scripture that, that says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The doctors were telling me, they, you know, they monitored. <laughs> Donna was telling me yesterday, if you ever want to get some rest, don't go to the hospital. <laughs> the doctor has special orders for her. And what a special order means is that he sees a problem, so he wants to get to the, to the bottom of it. And so he says, I want you to take vitals every so many hours. And so I want you to take, uh, um, uh, I want you to examine and get her blood sugar count every so many hours of the day. And so throughout the night and throughout the day, you hear a knock on the door and the nurse comes in and, okay, I need a blood count. I need, I, I need to take some blood from you. And so they take the IV and they take blood and they take that out. And then a few minutes, uh, not too much longer, uh, in the middle of your rest, no matter what time of day, several times during the day, I need to take your blood sugar. And so they, they poke her in the finger and say, okay if I use this finger? Because we done done every other finger there. So they okay if I use this finger? And she's laying on the bed, you know, and I can hear every faint word that she says. And she says, she says okay. I'm like, what if she would have not said okay? <laughs> well, what's going to happen? Well, I'm sorry, ma'am. I know you're tired, but we got to do this, right? So they, they, they poke that, and they, they take that blood, and they take the, the, the blood. They, they measure that and get the blood sugar uh, content from there. And so they, they, they are going through all of these things and, 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 and constantly... The, the order from the, from the doctor says, I want you to do the test. Give me the information that I need so I can see what's going on in her body. I want to check out what's going on. And so they would say, you know, um, they had her hooked up to a monitor that gave, her, gave them a, the, a heartbeat. And so they knew when her heart was beating faster than it was, and they, they can see something's going on in the body because of that. The body is responding to that. Now, what I was saying is that we're fearfully, wonderfully made, and so they found out that uh, uh, her potassium level was high. Uh, I'm like, okay, that good or bad? Tell me. It's not good. Here's a safe level, and here's her level. Okay, it's not good. What does it mean? Well, it means that there's another part of the body that's either not doing what it normally does, and Mickey will tell you because it's doing something else. <laughs> the body says, no, I've got something more important to do. I better fight this, and so um, I'm going to ignore this part over here. And they can pick that up, and, and so the body is, 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 is making all these adjustments. It's, it's fearfully and wonderfully made so that we can live. This is a show of love that God sent his only son because he knew we had a problem. That we could not fix ourselves. And he did, he did what was necessary for us that we could not do for ourselves. He sent his son into the world so that we could live. Because something vital was at stake. Our very existence was at stake. And so God does something to his own son that doesn't appear on face value to be love at all. He says, son, you must die so that they could live. And the Bible is saying that is the greatest expression of God's love. He gave his son his son gave his life. And they did that in cooperation with one another, voluntarily, willingly, so that you and I could live. This is the greatest expression of God's love. <clears throat> it's interesting. Now, in the Christmas season, they don't even want to call it that anymore, but in the Christmas season, you know, I, 
I look at, uh, as I watch TV, I'm, I call myself a connoisseur of commercials. I watch commercials because commercials tell you what they're trying to sell, who they're trying to sell it to, and what's going on right now. And you'll notice they're selling everything now, of course. Um, but what they're trying to sell is love. If you love this person, you'll buy them this. Of course, not from that store, but from our store. Because if you really love them, you'll spend the extra money to get our product. That's what they're trying to sell. They, they're trying to sell us on love. But God says, I'm going to show you my love in my son giving his life for you. so that you can live. Second thing, what he says about this picture that God's love shows us in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we love God. God initiates this thing called love. In Romans 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God initiated the love. It's not like we woke up out of our stupor and said, Hey, I want to love God. God started it first. You ever try to reconcile two people? When they're mad at each other. Somebody's got to initiate some things, right? Somebody's got to say, look, I'm going to be the forgiver here and going to reach out to you. Usually it's two people waiting for a phone call, right? Well, if she's serious, well, if he's serious, he's going to call me. And it's two people waiting for the same call. And they even tell each other, I'm waiting for you to say I'm sorry. I'm waiting for you to apologize. Well, if two people wait, what's going to happen? Nothing. There's no action. There's no movement. God didn't wait. God initiated his love. And when there was no reason, and ev no reason to love us and every reason to judge us, it says God initiated. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And reminder that he loved us when we were totally unlovable. This week I pray, Lord, would you pour out your grace on me and pour out your grace on my wife. It's not because I deserve it or she deserves it. It's not on the basis of that at all. Lord, it's because you're gracious. And we need it. Pour out your grace. That's what God does in his love. He loved us when we were totally undeserving. He initiated. And it says this thing about propitiation, right? In this, verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That word propitiation is found in chapter 2, verse 3. It's a deep word. John doesn't often use big words like this, but they have a special meaning. The word propitiation means that which is given that God requires, that meets God's standard. I've often used this way to explain it. It's one and only acceptable payment. You know, in our culture, if you're going to buy something from me, we got to agree on the currency, right? And usually the agreeable currency is cash. <laughs> I accept that. Because I can see it, I can feel it, and it's in my hand. And our highly civilized and 
technology, we have other currencies that are even more effective than cash. You know, if you get on the internet and you like to do all of your shopping that way, you need something other than cash as a currency. Propitiation means the only thing that's accepted to pay for this thing. What you going to pay? What you going to use to pay for your sin? What can I use to pay for my sin? God says there's only one currency that I accept as payment for this sin. It says he is the propitiation. Jesus is the one and only acceptable currency to pay sin, to pay for sin with. In other words, you know, if you don't have his account or account that uses that currency, you ain't getting it. It's Jesus. He, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Then he brings the, the practical. We've seen love defined, we've seen it personified, and now we see it practiced in verse 11. And he says this, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Just plain and simple, right? He said, look, I've defined love. I've given you the picture of love. And now I'm commanding you to practice love. In other words, he's, he's saying this. You can't just stay in your room and study this thing on love and say, now you really understand God. And I got it better now. I even got a picture of God. I can examine the picture. I can study. I can appreciate the beauty of the picture. He says, no, don't stay there either. That's not enough. He says, if you're a genuine believer, yes, you've got it defined correctly. Yes, you have a beautiful picture of it. You understand that picture. But here's what I'm driving you to, and that is to practice it. He's simply saying, do it. I like the old Nike logo, just do it. Saying, yeah, understand what it means. Yes, know what it looks like. He said, but most of all, that's for the purpose of doing it. Practicing it. And he says, there is no way, here's the practical application of the practice of it. There's no way you can say you love, period either love God or love anybody else if you do not practice it. He's not talking about mere sentiment. He's talking about doing. Jeremy was right on with what he said this morning. It's difficult to say, isn't it? Sometimes difficult to receive. And it's not just because we want to use this occasion for that. But what he's saying is this, is that we can say that we feel that we do, but we need to practice. And he's also saying this, is that, look, it's not good enough. We can say, well, you know, I, I prayed at home. And I promised to pray, and I'll keep on praying. That, that's great, but guess what? It's the coming together. That's important. How would you feel if you wanted to express, you know something needed to be expressed, but you just felt it in your heart and did not express it? Well, I'm not saying that you did not express love towards my wife. What I'm saying is that there is a special purpose in us coming together that is important. Not just for this moment, but it says it drives at, at, at a faithfulness that's continual. Not just to meet this moment, but it says, I intend to serve God with all my heart in every way that I can. You say, well, you know, you don't have to be here on Wednesday to be that. I would say, yes, you do. Because if it's, in your, if it's in your ability to do, then you ought to do. I expect it of you. And God expects it of you. And we ought to do. So what he's saying is in the, it's the practice of it. Being faithful in serving the Lord in all that we're called to do is what he's saying. He's saying, don't just know. 
Don't just see what it's pictured like. It says, I want you to actually walk, live, and do this love thing. He, says, he says, tells us how to do it. He says, well, how am I supposed to do that? What does that look like? He says, I, I like this verse, and I'm going to end on, on this verse, verse 11 and 12 connected. We already talked about 11. It's verse 12 on the end. Of, no one has ever seen God. And I wonder why he brings that up in this discussion about love. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I, I, I just struggle. How are those two statements connected? What do they even mean? He said no one has seen God. Then it seem like he goes on a tangent and talks about something totally separate from that. No one has ever seen God, but then he talks about loving. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What's the connection between seeing or not being able to see God and God's love abiding in us and being perfected in us. He's saying no one, including those who are genuine believers, has seen God. What is it that we do see? We see God's love expressed how? In and through each other. Now he's, talk, he's not talking about God's love towards those outside of the church, in this example, he's talking about God's people. He's saying the way that we experience and know and see God's love is to be faithful in serving one another. Now, actually, we all struggle at doing that. And I ask God to help me in expressing my love to my wife at this time. So that I said, well, God, to do that, I've got to have wisdom on what I should do. I was talking to the physical therapy uh, nurse and talking about how um, Donna's limited and how she can get around. And um, just because she's weak from surgery and she has uh, the incision um, in her abdomen um, that has to heal, and so she has some restrictions in how she can get around. Uh, she'll have restrictions on how she can minister to her grandchildren. She won't even be able to hold them, um, pick them up, and so forth. So how can I love her uh, in, in a practical way? And so I was asking the uh, physical therapist, says, how, how do I help her you know, walking? And so I said, you know, can I carry her? If you know Donna, she, she's an independent person. Of course, she would not want me to carry her. Um, if you know me, I'm strong. And so I can carry her. I've done that at times, picked her up and walked her up the stairs. And she pretty much had a heart attack every step. Because, <laughs> Ryan, you're you going to drop me. No, baby, I got you. I got you. But you know what? That wouldn't be much help because she would be scared to death of me trying to carry her. And besides, you know I can do more damage trying to carry her than the help that it will provide. And so I need to learn how to assist her. My point is this. If I'm going to practice love, I need to learn what ways that will be effective. I need to, need to know how to do that. I got I to gotta find that out. We're going to do that by gaining the wisdom that God gives us. We're going to actively have to get that wisdom. If we're going to love each other, we're going to have to be around each other. doesn't just come natural. We have to learn that. I'm thankful for, um, for three especially because they have the dual um, gift of loving me and loving Donna and having a greater degree of medical terms and knowledge than I have. That was um, Jackie doesn't have a doctor's degree. <laughs> but that is one experienced and bright woman. And I've leaned on her and been thankful for her explanations and encouragements 
<laughs> she told, told Donna this week, you're just going to have to stop breathing like that. That ain't helping you. Open your mouth. Breathe. <laughs> and Donna listened. And it was right. It's, it's exactly what the surgeon told her. In fact, they have this, this mechanism that they put. They give her and say, we want you to practice this. Breathing in and out. It's just a little tube you blow in and blow out. And little bubbles raise up or something to show you, you know what. And she had to do this to, to expand her lungs after surgery so she wouldn't develop pneumonia. But, you know, that's the doctor's explanation. But Jackie was just, you better start breathing. <laughs> the other two I'm thankful for is, is Mickey. And we know how gifted she is medically. And we've come to know day by day and year by year of how much she loves and she's expressed that so very well but uh, her explanations has helped us um, just kind of walk through this thing and um, Donna was coming out of surgery and she had come from recovery and then they were bringing her back to her room and uh, Mickey was, was there uh, when I was coming up and we were both there and uh, boy I had to hold Mickey back because uh, she was upset <laughs> They weren't giving medication to her for pain as, as, as they should have. <clears throat> and uh, she was not satisfied with that. Now, she knew. She said, one look at Donna's face, and she knew <laughs> that she needed this or needed that. And that, that experience and that love that just shone at that moment. The other one is Chantel, who has that love and that medical knowledge I don't know how many of you know, but um, Don, uh, Donna's doctor, her um, private physician is, is in, the, uh, in the West Dallas area, and that's where we went the first time we went through emergency, and we came back, and, and uh, later on, her condition got far worse, and that was after the funeral on that Saturday. <clears throat> we ended up going to emergency we were going to try to go there because her doctor is there but we knew we couldn't make it it was just too far away so we went to uh, um, Mount Sinai where Chantel's there and we didn't know we knew Chantel worked there and never seen Chantel on the job but after we went to emergency and they assigned her room in the very floor that Chantel works in the very ward that she works in and if Chantel didn't tell people she would have been assigned to my mom. So she had to tell them that, you know, that's my mom. And so every nurse and every person comes through, not only knew Chantel, but respected her knowledge. She had been moved to be head nurse in that whole area. And uh, I think, I can't guarantee you, that I, you know, I, I think they gave us special treatment. <laughs> because of that uh, but God has been caring for us and, and the three that I mentioned um, Jackie and Mickey and Donna in their special ways that God has gifted them that's no accident and um, they took their knowledge and they took their love and they used it in different ways and those are just three that, that I share um, that I'm thankful for that have expressed this. the point here is that it's not just in terms of me personalizing this, but it is in how we minister to each other is that our love is practiced. And that's the whole point of this passage. God wants us to practice that and to glean and learn ways that we will grow in that. What does that mean for you? It means learning how to love your husband, to love your wife, that's something you should be learning for the rest of your life. In other words, you, you never master that. You just get better at practicing it and keep on practicing it. How does God want you to practice the love in your own home, in your church? Can I say this? First of all, be connected. You can't love God's work here if you don't regularly come to services. You can't. You can say you love, but you got some other things to do that are more important. So you can't. So you got to be here regularly. You got to be faithful. And then when you're faithful, not just being here, 
but being a part. God brought you here. Don't say you don't fit in. God brought you here. Find where he fits you in because it's his doing. He knows what he's doing. And so practice that. So praise God for his word today. I'm going to pause there and just pray. Last Sunday I wasn't around went right back to the hospital, but I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to stick around. So if you have any questions or need to just uh, talk, I'll be here. And uh, we'll just minister that way. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the test. In this section, we see the test of faith and the test of love. Throughout the whole book, we see the test of obedience and the test of faith and the test of love. We learn some good things about it. You define love as pointing to yourself. You picture love as pointing to your son. And you practice love by pointing to us and each other and how we treat each other. Thank you for that today. Challenge our hearts to really put to practice what we've seen in your word today in our own personal lives, not for somebody else, but for ourselves. Thank you for your great love that I've experienced this week. You did not, um, you weren't stingy with your love this week, Lord, and I thank you for that. It's been sufficient, and I thank you for that. Thank you for your grace. Lord, if there's someone here who does not have that relationship with you, we're here to tell them that the purpose of this message is to show them they can be connected with you. They can trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they can pass the test because of what you provide. That word propitiation. You, your son, is the currency that they need. There's no other currency that you accept except his shed blood, and them trusting in that. So we thank you for that. Speak to our hearts. Bring salvation to those who need to trust in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.